Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work you really really want it all to work out while you're away monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind when all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync things just flow wherever you are tap the banner to go to monday.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Competition never waits. Take your gear on the go with a custom pack built to protect it. Because any place can be an arena. Game on. The Tumi Esports Capsule. Available on Tumi.com and select Tumi stores. Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 232 of the No Encore Music Podcast on the Head Stuff Podcast Network. That intro music, by the way, because some people have been asking me lately, is of course Move by Bantam. If you're not familiar with Bantam and the album of the same name, that album is Move, that song is Move. Uh, he's been our glorious intro music for a long time now. It's a hell of a record, choice nominated. He's got new music coming up with Loa. I figure it's about time I plug him because I keep forgetting to do it every time. But he's such a sound guy that he's never given out to me about it, which is pretty great. Anyway, look, on with the show. Big episode, a lot happening. Craig is not here this week. He's on annual leave. He's having a good time. He got his Jai Paul Jay Paul vinyl in the post after 15 long months. And I guess he's just spending some quality time with that. So, what do you do? You break out the big guns. And joining me once again on No Encore is everybody's favourite. She has appeared in the pages of the Irish Times, Totally Dublin, the digital pages of The Quietest and lots of other places. She's currently the producer for the fortnightly YouTube sensation live music show that is live from Gorilla Studios. It is, of course, Zara Hederman. Hi, David. How are you? <laughs> I think Delighted that to have actually, you back, Zara. I think that might be my most uh, tempered ever greeting to you uh it's very very quiet and relaxed Can, like, so why don't you why don't you greet me like you normally would so the listeners know the kind of dynamic that we have um well i 
just remember like when I started doing now Encore podcasts and I had very little experience of having to talk on microphone. Um, I used to like when you'd introduce me, I would just go, hi, like real high pitched and really horrible and awkward. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm actually just really self-conscious about it, ever bringing that uh, roused about out so so early into the podcast so um you know i tried well, you've done it now yeah look, it's happened but i did it i think in a measured way <laughs> you can give me a you can give us a classic hey you know it's your usual kind of go-to greeting i'll see how i get on i'll see how i get on fair enough well we'll see how we get on mm-hmm. in this episode because on this episode of no encore we've got a batch of news lots of stuff happening including um i guess while we're recording this on thursday evening the mercury prize is going to be announced i guess during the show so we'll have to get some breaking news on that one it's probably going to come later mm-hmm. will it come during our album review we're going to review ultramano the third album from uk punks or don't call them punks idols out now as of the podcast dropping and our top five this week with craig away a member of the advertising world we thought let's talk about songs in ads he's not too happy with me but i think we can repair the friendship it's going to be okay it's the kind of top five that can lend itself to a sequel zara did you enjoy putting this top five together this week i absolutely loved it i got it actually done so much quicker than i expected as well because when we settled on it i kind of then had a brief like oh god like what am i actually going to put in and then i thought for a second and one song just came to me instantly and then just the more I thought about it the more I went down YouTube rabbit holes I was just I had I'd say a short list of eight or nine and it was actually quite upsetting to have to cut two of the songs in particular but sure we can get we can get into that later but I do feel bad coming later in the show he'll be fine he'll, he'll get over it it's okay <laughs> he's got it's coming Paul. later in the show He's got Jay Paul. It's fine. Mm. Um, later, that, yeah, that's later in the show. So, but stick around because we got lots of stuff to talk about. Real quick, by the way, Patreon.com/slash No Encore. If you like this show and want to help support it, playlists every single week. Lots more episodes coming in general. I'm trying to like do these track by track things. I'll talk more about them later. But uh, yeah, listen. You know, it's been it's been great to have support for the show this year. Um, Zara and I are currently zooming. Craig and I zoom every week. When oh when will we be will we be back together again? I don't know. But for now, your support goes an awful long way. So it's patreon.com slash no encore if you'd like to help us out. And don't miss the latest episode of No Popcorn, which dropped in your feed during the week on the film Victoria, which is a hell of an episode about a hell of a film. But for now, straight into the news. As noted, we can't reveal who won the Mercury Music Prize just yet. That's coming though. But for now, it's yet another list. Last week we talked about the Irish Times and their top 50 best Irish people of all time or whatever it was. This week, Rolling Stone magazine, American Music Bible, has done... Well, I, I have it written down here as an update on their mm. 500 best albums of all time. However, they have been very, very clear to state that this is not an update rather than blowing it up and recreating from scratch. So the original list of 500 records came out in 2003 and Rolling Stone have put together, um, apparently this was a year-long project fielding more than 300 ballads from musicians, producers, journalists and executives, everyone from Beyonce and Lin-Manuel Miranda to Taylor Swift and Britney Howard voted. According to Rolling Stone, the results speak for themselves. 154 albums are new to the 500. 86 albums from the 21st century made the list, and the new 500 is much less rock-centric. Now, we'll count down 25 to 1 in just a moment. 500, I think, would be a bit too many. Mm. Uh, Zara, when it comes to this kind of stuff, Rolling Stone in particular, lists in general, what's your gut feeling on these things? Uh, For the most part, I think lists um, are pretty pointless. Um, 
especially the, apart from the top five that we'll be doing later in the show well, obviously apart from that but I don't know I think the recentists that we've seen say in um, national broadcasters have just been very um, clickbait heavy and I think they're also very aware of that um, I will say though it's something like a Rolling Stone 500 best albums of all time I, I have a little bit more time for those in regards to they are a good way to maybe uh scan through if there's maybe like one day where you're stuck for something to listen to and you want to go oh I actually kind of want to listen to something else that's maybe like you know a legacy album of that regard so I have found myself in the past probably with that 2003 list scanning it seeing an album being like oh I actually don't really know that much about this person or this album you get a little blurb and then you listen to it so in that way I think it's helpful um this list here it's actually it's really interesting to like read about it like as you were saying it took a year to make um there's 154 albums that are new to the top 500 86 albums for, from the last 21st century and um, other bits that I just thought were gas was how like the miseducation of Lauren Hill jumped from 312 to 10 um I think it's a really good um maybe like barometer as well to like look at some of the albums and consider like the cultural uh legacy that they have the impact the influence um and I do actually like I was scanning through it the other night and like there were some moments where I was like are you kidding me like this album is higher than this album that's stupid um but just like kind of looking at the top 25 again at a glance I actually don't have too much issue with it. Maybe apart from uh, Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street has no place there. Uh, David, yes, go on. Yes, I will now run down this contentious or perhaps not contentious top 25. Mm. You know, give me a shout, raise your hand if there's anything in particular that like stands out as some kind of erroneous thing. Uh, number 25, Carol King and Tapestry. Number 24, The Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which I believe was Craig's top choice recently for most overrated album of all time, I think. Then you've got The Velvet Underground with The Velvet Underground and Nico, The Notorious B.I.G. with Ready to Die, Bruce Springsteen and Born to Run into the top 20. Radiohead are here, but not without Okay, computers, Zara. Kid mm. A, which I think is in fact the correct choice. Yeah, I was. I would tend to agree. I think Kid A is really interesting. It's got a bit more kind of experimentation to them. Um, here's them having just a bit more, I guess, like fun and just being weird. And yeah, go on there, David. Now. I will indeed. Number 19 is Kendrick Lamar and To Pimp a Butterfly. A great album, but one I don't throw on quite often. Mm. Bob Dylan, Highway 61, Revisited, number uh, number 18. Number 17, That Man, Kanye West, and My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, Zara. Um, do you think when Kanye, sorry, this came into my head as soon as I saw this on the list. Do you think when Kanye saw that he was 17, he just uh, yelped in his living room, Can we get much higher? <laughs> I'm moving straight on to number 16. It's The Clash and London Calling, everyone's favourite Clash album. Number 15, Public Enemy. It takes a nation of millions to hold us back. Bit of a classic for sure. Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones at number 14. Is that one that is in your vinyl collection, Zara? Absolutely not. I think the Rolling Stones are a really overrated <laughs> band. Um, also, what? sorry, The Clash as well, London Calling. I don't know if I would put it in the top 25. Great album. Now, in fairness, very iconic. You mentioned culture earlier on. It's had a huge impact. Yeah, maybe in the top 30, but... 
Okay. Number 13, Aretha Franklin, I've Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You. At number 12, it's Redacted and Thriller. At number 11, it's The Beatles and Revolver. Number 10, as you mentioned, Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill, huge jump for her. Number 9, Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks. Number 8, Prince and the Revolution with Purple Rain. An album I know that is dear to your heart. I know you love that one. It's a very emotional record. Quite a classic. Number seven, Fleetwood Mac, Rumours. Number six, Nirvana, Nevermind. Number five, The Beatles and Abbey Road. Number four, Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. Into the top three now, it's Joni Mitchell and Blue. It's The Beach Boys and Pet Sounds. And at number one, much to Craig's chagrin, having included it in his overrated top five, it's Marvin Gaye and What's Going On. Amazing. I I I wish he was here. Yeah, I laughed so much when I saw that and immediately thought of Craig. I was like, oh, Craig's going to absolutely throw his laptop out of the the window. Um, Oh, I don't think he cares. I think he's. I think he's fine with his uh, his his new iconoclast image, his yeah. anti-establishment vibe. He said he likes the raincoat that Marvin's wearing on the front cover. So fair enough. But I do believe he was like it's an album with only three good songs. I've had so many messages over the summer from people being like, "What is Craig on about?" And it's just amazing to see this continue to gather speed. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, listen, I don't know. I mean, the, like, did you go through the whole five hundred? No. I didn't. No. It's uh, Harry Styles is in there. His most recent album. That's and it's like okay. <laughs> like, like, fair enough yeah no Harry Styles album in the 500 greatest albums of all time is just nonsense like nonsense and that's all I'll have to say in it well I think you know one thing I, I will give Rolling Stone credit for here is well like a couple of things really I mean like you know as you say like you know there's always room to re- reflect culture and evolution of culture and like you know this is like 17 years on from the original list but also the fact that like they put work into it. It took a mm-hmm. long time. Over 300 people were involved. And one of my big criticisms of, for example, the recent Irish Times list has been that it's been two people. When you're at a big publication where you can call mm-hmm. on at least, I guess, in that situation, surely like double figures, you know, the very, very least. So, you know, you might not agree with the results and lists are designed to provoke debate. Um, Rolling Stone has a certain pedigree. And I guess some people will take this as a Bible. Mm-hmm. It could be one of those things that people will treat it as, you know, cool, I'll go out and get all these albums I've never heard of before for, you know, a younger generation, etc. So I think it's probably doing more positive than any kind of harm. But I didn't exactly like, you know, I wasn't chomping at the bit. Like when I saw a pop up, it was like, oh, okay, well, that's an interesting news item as opposed to this is going to change how I listen to music. Have you ever, like whether it's a list or just like something you saw in a magazine or even like an album cover, like have you ever like made a blind buy on something and been like, fuck, this is actually amazing. Like it's, I haven't done that in so long. Yeah, I haven't done it for a very long time. Um, uh, I remember when I was younger, maybe like about 15 or 14, I bought um, with my velvet heart-shaped money box. Uh, I went into HMV in Blanchardstown and I bought an album by a guy called Jim Noir. He sounds like a Mighty Boosh character, but he's not. Um, and I think I'd, I, it wasn't entirely blind. Like I had heard the last, like say, 30 seconds of uh, of one of his songs and saw the CD in HMV. I really liked the cover of it. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'll give this a whack. Like, so I did. And it was amazing. So that's my one half blind, I guess. 
Half blind boy? Half blind, yeah. yeah. Not yeah, not legally blind. Uh, <laughs> our sonic architect Adam, of course, over here, who is currently in the throes of a vinyl addiction. Week on yeah. week, there's just more and more and more happening. Has let me know across the uh, across the Zoom waves here that D'Angelo Voodoo was a blind purchase for him recently. That's a fucking amazing album. I'm mm. shocked you never heard it before, Adam. I hope you're enjoying it. He's nodding feverishly and looks very happy with himself. So fair enough. Listen, speaking of Rolling Stone, by the way, uh, you know, like it's been a strange year, as we know. And it's, it's that kind of weird thing where you're like, you know, you're just you're flicking through Twitter and all of a sudden you see a sentence and the sentence is um, first like uh, Northern Ireland health minister, Robin Swan blasts Van Morrison in Rolling Stone exclusive op-ed. So we talked about Van Morrison on the show last week, very briefly. Um, we recorded on a Thursday evening. We we're talking about Noel Gallagher and his attitude towards, you know, COVID-19 and anti-masks and whatever. Same with Ian Brown. And we mentioned Van Morrison in passing. And then on Friday fucking morning, after the podcast has been locked up and is ready to be released into the world, you find out that Van Morrison has has penned not one, not two, but three anti-lockdown songs. And he's he's moving in that direction. This is the supergroup that we never wanted. Mm-hmm. A lot of backlash, obviously. And among them, the aforementioned Robin Swan, who wrote exclusively for the Ro- for the Rolling Stone. Uh, I'm, I'm turning into my dad now over here. <laughs> it's the Rolling Stone magazine. You can pick it up down the local newsagents. Uh, basically, like, went in with two feet on him, said that, you know, we're very proud of Northern Ireland, the fact that one of the greatest music legends of the past 50 years comes from this part of the world. But that brings a real feeling of disappointment with this. We expected better from him. But it goes further than that. And what he's saying is actually dangerous. It could encourage people to not take coronavirus seriously. If you see it all as a big conspiracy, then you're less likely to follow the vital public health advice that keeps you and other people safe. Uh, he goes on to say that Van Morrison goes way beyond raising questions. He's singing about quote-unquote fascist bullies and claiming that governments are deceiving people and wanting to quote-unquote enslave them. Uh, it's a smear on all those involved in the public health response to a virus that has taken lives on a massive scale and continues to, of course. His words will give great comfort to conspiracy theorists uh, who crusade against masks and vaccines and think this is all a huge global plot to remove freedoms. Swan concludes by saying that only a few years ago, Van Morrison categorically say that he is not political. He has nothing to say about politics whatsoever. And he's changed his tune big time since then. I love that like the phrase big time is in the Rolling Stone. It's so good. Um, basically goes on to say, listen, there's so many things that Van could have sang about. He could have sang an, like, like a, a song about the health workers. He could have mm. protested against important things like poverty and starvation and injustice and racism and violence and austerity. It's a long list. Instead, he's chosen to attack attempts to protect the old and vulnerable in our society. He calls it bizarre and irresponsible and says he's no guru, no teacher. <laughs> (laughs) of course, referencing one of his own songs. Um, I wasn't shocked, Zara, last Friday morning when Van Morrison doubles down. What was your reaction? So, yeah, when I was uh, reading this uh, news piece today, there was a few things that really stood out to me. And actually, uh, Dave, I'm really disappointed in you. Sorry, not only am I disappointed in Van Morrison, but I'm disappointed in you in your retelling of this article because you left... Tosa, you left out an integral part of Swan's... um, statement the bit about uh, his words will give great comfort to the conspiracy theorists the tinfoil hash brigade <laughs> I, I was just like, trying to be nice yeah. you know oh when I saw the tinfoil hat brigade like I just immediately erupted um, and thought about <laughs> thought about Mel Gibson in signs um I guess, yeah, it is extremely disappointing. But um, when he says, uh, we expected better from him, I actually have that underlined as well. And beside it, I just have, did they? Question mark. Um, (laughs) 
You know your audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it, yeah, it is. It's must be disappointing because especially for Morrison to have said recently that he's not political, that he's an apolitical person when, especially when you go back to Astral Weeks, like he had so many incredible songs written about the troubles, written about growing up um, in Northern Ireland. So for him to then just kind of uh, disavow that is, I don't know, it makes you kind of then reevaluate. Um, though, like, obviously that was a past and he was a younger man and now he is a famed curmudgeon. Um, it's just, it's it's not shocking. It's absolutely bizarre as well, this like, um, hopefully like continued feud. Hopefully Van Morrison comes out with something for um for Robin Swan next week. Um, I also really enjoyed the uh the part of this story where a Belfast city councillor is trying to revoke the singer's freedom to Belfast freedom of Belfast honor awarded to him in 2013. So um, <laughs> I mean, I mean that's a lifetime award. Like it's it's you're either free or you're not. But yeah. then I guess he's got his own kind of viewpoint on that. I did see someone on Twitter make a crack and they were saying, well, actually, Sammy Wilson takes a different tack in this week's issue of Kerrang. The whole thing is so fucking surreal. Uh, so listen, you. You mentioned, you mentioned Van there. You mentioned his surname. I, I guess I, I always just call him Van Morrison. I never just go Morrison. But you, you, you raise an interesting question, Zara. If you had to be stuck in a lift for six hours with Morrison or Morrissey, who would you choose? And you can't, you have to talk to them. There has to be a conversation. Oh, I, I, I assume they'll be doing most of the talking, to be fair. Do you know what? I think I would actually go for Van Morrison because... Um, one, I think he is a little bit more mute than Marcy. So Marcy would be really chewing the ear off you. Marcy would also be going on about how great England is. Um, and also, there, actually, the other night um, we were talking if, um, about some Van Morrison story about like um, when he went, was on The Last Waltz and he's like... There, someone asked him about it and they're like, oh, what was that like, like playing um, playing that gig? And he just goes, just like any other gig. It's like, okay. So like, I think actually it would be grand because he's just very quiet. It's a uh, Morrissey for me all the way because I what? figure I'm coming out of there with, but I figure I'm coming out of there with a hell of a story and a hell of an interview oh. and I can sell that to anybody. How many hours are you stuck in the lift? Six hours, yeah, six long hours. But I've got my, I've got my phone recorder. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transcribe this thing. It's gonna happen. <sighs> but listen, so like, like one person, two people, even that I would be more than happy, Zara, to be stuck in a lift for six hours would be Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, my, my, my fathers, who I'm so <laughs> proud of this week, Zara. Uh, they've, they've only gone and won an Emmy for Watchmen. Their fantastic work on the great TV series, limited series Watchmen, and this award now means that they have now won an Emmy, a Grammy, and an Oscar leaving them one away, the Tony Award away from EGOT status. You're but as a matter of fact, it's e- beaming. <laughs> like oh, there's I'm so light happy. bouncing like, from your face this right has now. Been, this, this has been, my therapist asked me earlier on, like, you know, like, what, like what's giving you energy this week? And I was like, well, let me tell you. <laughs> Two young men from America. But here's the thing, right? Young. It's even better. It's even better than that. Well, Travis is a pretty good looking 50-something-year-old or whatever he is. It's, but it's even better than this because... Nine Nails are about to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So it wouldn't even be an EGOT that they would get. They'd be a REGOT. So all they need to do now is do a musical and we're set. I'm so proud of them. I'm just so happy. I rewatched The Social Network at the weekend in, in celebration. That's a hell of a score. A good movie as well. You can understand how... Let me have this. No? Is REGOT... Nothing. Uh, okay, excuse my ignorance here, but is REGOT a real thing? No, I'm making it up okay, on the Okay, I wondered, actually, I was like, REGOT... That has to be made up. But no, it sounds I, like some I'm kind of insurance company, yeah. 
Are you? Of course I am. I think Trent, like, yeah, I think Trent Reznor has done some amazing stuff. I'm not like as fanatical about him as you are, but definitely like one of the first kind of moments that uh, really uh, caught my attention for Nine Inch Nails and got me like slightly interested was the She's Gone Away song that they played on Twin Peaks The Return. I thought that was so brilliant good. and the performance as well I just thought really worked well with it and then again recently I watched um, actually another David Lynch um, oh what's it called the one with um, Lost Highway was it? Yes yeah, and Trent Reznor like worked on the soundtrack for that. And there was times where I was like, this soundtrack has such a bang Reznor. So I was also quite proud of myself that I was able to pick up on his like his magic, if you will. Excellent. Well, listen, when gigs finally come back, Zara, I'm dragging you to a Nine Inch Nails show. It's going to be fucking amazing. Okay. However, you know, you've had an interesting week yourself. I believe you indulged in some herbal <laughs> tea and did not have a great time. Is this correct? It was the most disgusting thing I ever drank in my life. <laughs> It was like, it was also a really stupid thing to do. Uh, it was pretty reckless. Um, so I had it at about like two o'clock in the afternoon and it was a sleepy time tea and was going um, was going out to see some people um, all within the phase three uh, regulations. And uh, I was like, God, is this actually a good idea to have like t- sleep inducing tea? Like when I'm about to go and do something. Um, it tasted like... Um, what I imagine Daz would taste like. Uh, it was a g- incredibly soapy. Um, but like, I, I couldn't stop. Like I kept going back for more. And with each... Why? If it's horrible, what are you, what are you doing? Because maybe it was the temperature. Do you know, like sometimes when you drink something that's really hot and it affects the way it tastes. Um, so I just was like, okay, maybe if I go back in when it's like a little less hot... <laughs> tepid and then kind of cold gross absolutely disgusting but well can i interest you in a jarvis cocker themed well i guess he's putting his name to this brand of herbal tea we talked about jarvis his project there recently on the show i wasn't crazy about it craig likes him uh, fairly well enough but he's translating his unique aesthetic into tea form uh dragonfly teas have hooked up with jarvis a new blend of herbal tea christened welcome to the peppermint jungle now I don't know if this is just me, but should Jarvis Cocker not be focusing on putting out an orange juice line? I mean, like, I know, I know, like, I mean, I, I, yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, I, did, I, did, I, I, I put the mechanics together. Thanks. The herbal <laughs> tea and Jarvis Cocker, and also for that album, Jarv is just doesn't it doesn't make sense at all. Um. I will say as well, like I do kind of appreciate the flavor, um, the flavor range he's going for. It's um, a flavors include a blend of organically grown peppermint, ginger, fennel, fennel's gross, lemongrass, and hemp seed. Um, there, lemongrass is great. Love a little bit of that. Lemongrass, mm, not so much. I don't. I like lemon and ginger tea, but lemongrass, no. Anyway, um, one of the flavors has been christened "Welcome to the Peppermint Jungle." Again, is this not a product for Axl Rose? 
Like is he's got a lot going on. I think that guy. <laughs> like I don't think we need to get him into the into this project. Although a collaboration between the two of them musically would be no fucking horrendous, and I hope never to hear it. Um, but look, listen, you, you can't win them all. No. It's just one of those things, I guess. Lastly, in the news section, huge congratulations to Thom York of Radiohead fame because he got married. I read this article is translated from Italian because he got married to an Italian lady. But twice in the article, they they take. Uh, extreme note here to mention that she's 15 years younger than him yeah it's like the scandal the wedding uh took place in a you know no dance floor covid restrictions it was celebrated in bagheria by a tuscan priest of anglican faith the wedding took place at via valgonera where um his new bride Dejana Roncione got married in, in her land, her native Sicily. We've known each other for a long time. We met through mutual friends, she said. She's an actress, um, explaining that their relationship was based on mutual trust. Well, I fucking hope so. Um, a spontaneous and genuine imprinting. He believes a lot in me. We've always supported each other in everything. Came to see one of her shows. Next thing you know, love was in the air. Are you happy for him? Miserablest Tom York, happy again. I'm once. I'm really happy for him. I'm also really happy to have been in the same room as Paulie Walnuts, apparently there from that impression. <laughs> I'm just doing my best, you know. It's um, fine. Um no disrespect meant. No, not at all. Paulie Walnuts is a legend. Um yeah, really happy for him, especially because obviously he went through a very sad time where his um former partner Rachel Owen passed away recently. Um so I'm glad that he's found love again. I think um I think uh, Dejan uh, Ron, Ronicone, uh, it's not going to be as a... Uh, Roncione. There we go, thank you. Um, I think, isn't she also in Anima, the Paul Thomas Anderson short film? Did she also, I don't know if I rem- I'm remembering this wrong, did she choreograph? Because is she a choreographer, a dancer as well? I don't know. Um, yep, delighted for them. Glad they got to have their wedding, even in COVID. Um, to be honest, I think even if there was no COVID, a Tom York wedding, I doubt there would have been a dance floor. Could you imagine him? Dan- so you don't think? Well, maybe I, like I mean, like you don't think someone throws on like "You Only Get What You Give" by New Radicals at two in the morning, and he's there getting the fuck down? I could see that happening. Yeah, maybe actually. No, no, not New well, Radicals. Bring for the Asha. We- <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. I, like I mean, like, everyone's getting up. Fucking corpses are getting up to dance to that one. Whoa. So here's the thing, right? Tom York, you know, legend. We're fans of him on this show. We talk a lot about his most re- one of his most recent works, the amazing score that he made for the 2018 remake of Suspiria. That film, which you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to revisiting soon. Hopefully for a no popcorn episode around the time of you know Halloween. Spooky season's almost upon us. Tilda Swinton dominates that film. One of the great actors out there. You might say she's a character actor if you believe that. You gotta listen to this podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Character actor is a supporting actor who specialises in playing unusual, interesting or eccentric characters. For whatever reason, these performers are less concerned with being stars. Because of that, they often take supporting roles in big movies or only play leads in indie films or TV. They're less concerned with their image. They can bounce between heroes or villains. They're chameleons and they often disappear into each role. So you might know the faces, but you might not know the names. So subscribe to us wherever you can subscribe for podcasts and be on the lookout for that to come. And until then, uh, see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. As I say, character actors, man. Plenty of characters. Plenty of characters in a certain specific, I guess, uh, critique or satire of utopia in a British way of life is coming up for us now with this musical sting. It is, of course, Idols. They are back with their third album, Ultramano. This song is called Model Village. There's a top boy in the village. 
Beg your pardon indeed. That's Idols, that's Model Village. It's one of the singles off the brand new album Ultra Mono. There's been tons and tons of hype about this band in recent times. We haven't talked about them too often on No Encore, but now it's time to face down the barrel of this. I don't want to call them punk. We'll get to that. But first, here to tell us more about who these guys are and what they're all about, it's Zara Hederman. Okay, Idols. Okay, so... What we have with this band, they are a quintet. They are based in Bristol. They are led by Joe Talbot, a Welshman. Um, this band formed back in 2009 uh, with Joe Talbot and their bassist, Adam Devonshire. Um, they met when they were in sixth form in Exeter. They decided to move to Bristol to set up a band. Um, it took a while for them to have a release. Um, their debut album, Brutalism, didn't come out until 2017. So almost actually a decade after their formation. Um, I think there's actually a very um, uh, reflective quote from the front man, who's a very outspoken man, as we uh, got a taster of in those um, very visceral lyrics. Um, He said, it took us a long time to get productive because we didn't know what the fuck we were doing at all. We were fucking terrible for a long time. Now, I actually have to respect and kind of, admire Talbot's um, faith and belief in his band that they're not still fucking terrible Um, basically I suppose as you said David um, they became huge in the last couple of years they've really made a career out of writing songs that are filled with social commentary they're very open about um, denouncing the British government um, talking about Tory scum um, which is great Uh, they also talk about inclusivity gender equality toxic masculinity I think the way though that they have done that is maybe not as actually productive and inspiring to all of the audiences that they could have um as you said there as well you know the sound there the very post-punk they sound very much like a lot of the post-punk revivalist bands um that are going at the moment but Joe Talbot has explicitly said um, that they are not a fucking punk band and to stop fucking calling us that. Yeah, he's gone into like serious detail on this one before, mm. like in, in a number of interviews, as recently as one with Zane Lowe, I think just a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, certainly on this campaign trail anyway. Um, he has a quote here, which I know you're going to, I know you're going to love Zara. He said, when we started out, someone said, what kind of music do you play? And I always said recession soul, because it was like, the idea was we were in the first recession and I was like, it's soul music, man. But he also makes the point to give him credit to say that it's an insult to blues and reggae. It's an insult to black musicians. He kind of feels like a lot of disenfranchised black punk bands or Afro-Caribbean acts don't get the credit that they deserve. And here are five white lads, you know, it's like idols have been very clear and careful to check their privilege in a way which has also come back to bite them in certain ways there was a big enemy long read interview about a week ago Mm. in which they talked about you know having difficulties um securing and promoting female support acts they mentioned nadine shah as someone who i think they're friends with but they mentioned Mm. her as someone who like they couldn't afford 
which led Nadine Shah to go on Twitter and post a screenshot of the interview and say, you only offered me a couple hundred quid or whatever it was. In Idol's defense, I suppose, they you know later replied to her and said, well, look, this was a couple of years ago. Your agent asked for six times the amount that we could afford. It wasn't a case of us trying to blah, 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 blah. I mean, like, it's kind of one of those like, well, no one's going to win this argument cleanly, are they? Especially when it goes down on Twitter. I guess you could put yourself into their shoes and say that two years ago, they were very much in the ascendancy. Right now, they are massive. They've sold out three shows in Vicar Street, for mm-hmm. example, next may which i really hope go ahead i don't think they will let's see how things go like i really hope they fucking do whatever you think of the band i mean like let's please get back to that scenario mm. but like they're very big now um you know like they their live show in particular seems to be a religious experience for an awful lot of people that's where i've seen the most of the commentary come from from people who've seen them live um i've to this date kind of not really got it or really mm. tried to get it so this was an interesting one to go with because it, it forced me to kind of go and listen to those first two records brutalism yeah, and joy as an act of resistance before i got to this new one ultramano and i must say i mean i found myself being like oh okay yeah i mean like this is direct you know it's it's immediate um you know you're gonna have an opinion on it pretty quickly um it is larry bloke shouting at you but trying to be a bit knowing about it they do have pop nows. I mean, like some of their songs are very catchy. Like Model Village there, the one that we played, has been a really interesting one because um, a lot of people think it's absolute trash. A lot of people, even like Idols fans, are like, nah, this is too on the nose for us. I'm really going to be interested to see how this album goes down. This could be, it's backlash time, I think, for them in some respects. I've been reading like the Drown and Sound forums and stuff this week and just even the enemy interview is a bit kind of tetchy. So... <sighs> I guess, you know, if, if I'm going to be reductive for a second, I would say that a band that you might associate like with this band would be Fontaine's, who I think supported them, and like Murder Capital and that. Um, I would prefer Idols to Fontaine's, I think, just like on the like like on, on the front of it. I think if I was younger, if I was a teenager, like I'd probably think that these guys are fucking unreal. Um, I'm still kind of deciding it. I'm curious. Are you completely not into this or what is your take? Yeah, I'm really not into this at all. Um... Uh, for a number of reasons. So I think one thing that has really irked me throughout the week, um, reading about them, researching them, really listening closely to them, is that there's just like, for me anyway, there's no soul to any of this. Um, I feel that Idols is more of a business than it is a band. And I mean that in that... Um, which is a real a real shame because when I was listening during the week to their second album, Joy is an Act of Resistance, uh, one song, because I do think as well, a lot of their songs, this is quite a reductive thing and it's quite an easy thing just to throw out, but I do think a lot of their songs just sound the same. Um, nothing really kind of stands out to me or nothing really uh, catches my attention and pulls me back in when I lose myself Um in my own thoughts when I'm listening to them. Um, But anyway, when I was listening to their previous album, I was really struck by the song that Joe Talbot had written for um, an experience he had where he had his wife um, delivered a stillborn baby. And I actually thought that, you know, that's actually a very positive thing. And especially for, say, Idols fans who you know, not to generalise, but I assume and have seen a lot of kind of men of his age bracket. So like say late 30s in their 40s who are huge fans of this band who have possibly gone through a very similar experience. So for them, it must be um, very... um, 
resonating and touching um, to hear someone and to hear, you know, that kind of style of music bring forth an experience like that and that kind of vulnerability. Um, Unfortunately, I just think, though, across their albums, their lyricism is dire. Um, this album was also recorded in two weeks with um, Joe Talbot um, spitting out a lot of the lyrics in the booth. I think that's really obvious because, you know, just some of the examples like on that song, there's like one line where it's like snitches, snitching on snitches, snitching. And it's like, oh, God. But anyway, back to the idols as a business kind of thing that's in my head is that on that second album, they also dealt, dealt with um, their struggles with addiction and alcoholism. And then six months later, they brought out a craft beer range, um, which just is very conflict. There's a, just a lot of con- contradictions, I feel. Um, also, you know, I think they're just so focused on their image. Um, a lot of their concerns just seem to be very superficial, where Joe Talbot is just like, stop calling us a punk band. They have elements of punk, yes. They also, to me, have traces of, say, like enemy kind of um, hype, indie kind of um, bands too, like Maximo Park. There's definitely some Interpol in there. But, you know, I think it's really funny for him to be so adamant about that when he's doing his best John Lydon impression across this album. And also, you know, the whole fact about, say, Sex Pistols is that, like, famously the band just didn't know how to play their instruments. This is a band who clearly do know how to play their instruments. I don't think they actually do that very well. And then to go to your other point about, you know, lugging them in with, say, Fontaine's and Murder Capital, I wouldn't be huge fans of either of those bands either. But I do think that at least Fontaine's and Murder Capital, there's a bit more kind of promise or something in their arrangements. Um, whereas with Idols, I just heard no imagination, no passion at all, no want to try and sound bold or, or experimental. Like for me, I just felt that there was p- points where they were like literally uh, copy and pasting guitar tones and guitar riffs from the first album. And that's just not good enough, especially on their third album. Well, this is the thing. I, As far as I'm concerned, like, I mean, despite only really spending the last week or whatever, really going over the three albums in total, I think this is the weakest of the three. Um, I think that Brutalism and Joy's Natural Resistance have a lot more going for them in terms of, you mentioned the word promise. And I think with a band like Fontaine's or Murder Capital, Fontaine's are on album number two, Murder Capital on our album number one. Here's Idols with album number three in a very short period of time, like three albums, four years, capitalising on the moment. And like, you know, the, even like the whole, like, here's our craft beer range, you can understand it from the point of view of like, well, this is what bands need to do these days, you know, like, like you got to be more than just whatever. And like, but yeah, it, it does jive for sure with the whole ethos and aesthetic to some degree. I mean, there's also a lot to be said as, as well. You know, you mentioned uh, the kind of personal tragedy that Joe Talbot went through and how that might lead to some kind of galvanizing effect for people in a similar situation. Uh, there's, I've seen some stuff this week as well, where like, there's a lot of young men, like mental health, you know, like, like we'll listen to some songs and like Samaritans, for example, off the last record and very much find themselves like, oh fuck, this guy understands me. And I now feel like I have someone and you know, there's so much, one of the great things we talk about with music when we talk about music and one of the reasons why we love it as much as we do is because of the electric charge that it gives us on a personal level, on a unique level. And we all have our own songs for that. We all have our own kind of little moments and sometimes they can surprise you. That said, to break down this album to its brass tacks, I do hear the samey song vibe here a lot. I do hear the kind of, you know, 
reheated content to a degree. Um, how do you think about them as a performative act? Because there's one song here in particular, right? Um, with uh, Jenny Beth yeah. of Savage's fame. The song is called Ne Touche Pas Moi, which is, I believe, uh, Don't Touch Me, but also it's mistranslated. Like, like he doesn't have the words right. Jenny Beth said that when she uh, got the song title, she was like, well, that's actually not how it's said per se, but she was kind of like, fuck it, we'll go with the spirit of what you're doing here. But this is a song which is about, you know, consent, because Joe Talbot at one stage just screams consent a lot. Mm. Um, and like, you know, your own personal space and that kind of stuff. So like, it's it's good for a band like Idols who appeal to young men, you know, young charged up men on a night out to be confronting these issues. It's not the first time they've done it. You mentioned as well, toxic masculinity has been a facet before. But I listened to this song in particular and it just genuinely feels like a bit fucking obvious like him just shouting consent over and over again i'm like i don't know if that works it does it feels a little bit kind of clickbaity like baity to me or something absolutely there was one thing um again with his really uh ridiculously terrible uh lyricism is he sings uh because your body is your body and it belongs to nobody but you it's like yes that's true but, you know, you could say it with a bit more nuance, but that's just me being pedantic about the lyricism. But what I think when I was listening to this album, this song in particular, it stood out to me um, because it, it just felt like a, t- a box ticked by them because they've uh, sung about, you know, um, poverty and um, class division. And obviously consent is such a huge conversation in the last couple of years. Um, there was a great, like, there was a great um, just even phrase that I saw attached to idols. And once I saw it, everything just kind of clicked into place for me. And it's that they are sloganing. They're a sloganist band. Everything, a lot of their lyrics are purely just slogans. And you kind of have to actually just wonder how much they actually believe believe in that or kind of ha- like how much conviction they have behind that. Obviously, I'm not saying that they are not advocates for consent, but I just think that the way in which they're uh, uh, writing lyrics and projecting the lyrics is incredibly performative. Um, I think that you know you can do you can do social commentary. You can talk about really really stark issues that are affecting us, but with nuance. You can be informed. You can be intelligent. You can be concise and succinct. I mean, there's so many artists at the moment that are doing so. Um, just look at Stormzy in Ireland. We've got Denise Chyla who um, I've been listening to her mixtape recently and just her ability with language is actually a lot more inspiring and captivating because there is such um, an established kind of voice and thought behind it. Whereas something with this Joe Talbot, I think it is also just that aspect of like, he doesn't read, he, like he just went into the, the booth. He just, he's throwing words out into the air. Um, and then also it's very jarring when you have songs where he's barking, like you're a 36 year old man, grow up, like, which, you know, I know. That's a horrible thing to say to me, Zara. I mean, I'm trying my best <laughs> well, over look, here I've said hosting this show. It wouldn't be the first time I've said it to you anyway. Um, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but yeah, I just think 
I also just wonder as well, like a lot of the things that he's critiquing, say like the the Tories, um, there was another very interesting uh, aspect to online criticism of this band where around the time of the general election, um, was it last year? They were incredibly quiet. Like they didn't speak out at all about why you should vote for Labour, why you shouldn't vote for Conservatives, um, which a lot of people did. The 1975, another example of that, where they were critiqued on that. So I just wonder, like, yes, they're saying it. Is it actually going to lock in with their audience who are just mosh pit hounds and Well, I mean, we don't know. (laughs) Yeah, well, we don't know know. how far sweeping the generalization goes for the audience. But I I, I appreciate the concerns. And I will say, just I guess, I mean, like, I do believe him. I believe that he believes himself for sure. And I, I also, you know, I think you have to give some credit where, like, when they were getting a lot of attacks there for their lack of female support, like literally like lack of female support on tour previously, because they had three male bands, including Fontaine's, I believe, the Mm -hmm. previous year, Um, you know, days after this kind of controversy was was being discussed on Twitter they revealed their supports for next year if those gigs go ahead and it is predominantly female like that lineup of who they have and it's like across like Anna Calvi Jenny Beth and various others and it's like cool I mean like those were clearly booked a while ago I, I can't imagine that they spent the weekend on the phone being like fuck better fix this now so to some respect they're trying to put their money where their mouth is and as far as this album is concerned I do like it I do think it's a good album I just think it's it made me appreciate those first two albums quite a bit by comparison but in terms of like you know critique and criticism and things that have been laid at their door I wonder how you feel about a, qu- a couple of quotes like this because they've gotten a couple of scrapes that they have with other people as well it's mm. not just the women thing um, they've had you Sorry, know David, some the women thing <laughs> You know what I mean. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to introduce said <laughs> to a woman <laughs> the 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 female element of their, uh, I guess, lack of commitment or conviction, if you will. I'm like, again, I'm trying my best here, Zara. But you're right. Listen, you're right to call me up on it. Thank my you. language was insensitive. I'll never make it in idols. But here's the thing, right? <laughs> they have had a couple of feuds with Sleaford Mods and Fat Wife Family acts that you might say are similar to some degree, acts that you might differ. I don't know. But the frontman of Fat Wife Family, uh, Liaz Saudi, has been speaking. He wrote an article in a website called The Social and responded to some of Talbot's comments in The Guardian the previous week because, you know, Joe Talbot was talking about how he holds on to grudges, but specifically their grudges, not my grudges. They make me powerful, makes me angry. I was a very violent person. One day I genuinely had to stop myself driving up to London and finding him about the singer from Fatway Family. Um, And so your man responded and said a couple of things. Uh, About idols, Leaz Saudi says... This is a band that purports to be about unity and zero tolerance of prejudice of any kind, yet feels it necessary to pour scorn on anyone that comes from a small town that hasn't quite managed to adopt the same middle-class metropolitan point of view that they call their own. Having been beaten, spat on, and racially abused in a village growing up, I can confirm that a great deal of bigotry does reside there, but who is Joe Talbot to wag his finger and cast judgment on these people? When you grow up economically oppressed in a world which offers you ever-diminishing prospects, a world where violence and abuse are the norm, sooner or later the hope of it all has a fairly good chance of morphing into hatred. Labeling these people scum isn't progressive, it's decadent. I'd go as far as saying it's tantamount to blaming the slave for his chains. Later on, Saudi goes on to say it's as if Idol's lyrics have been generated by a Guardian-designed algorithm, every red-button issue of the day systematically addressed in the most predictable way imaginable, nothing all that personal is ever laid on the table. I don't feel like I learn anything about Joe Talbot by listening to Joe Talbot. The easiest way to gain popularity online, of course, is simply to regurgitate what everyone else already believes. Mm. 
harsh words or fair point? I think the last uh, the last uh, sentence there I think actually sums it up complete like perfectly. Um, I think they are just hopping on um, on a wave of very popular um, social critique. Um, they have seen that, you know, post-punk in the last couple of years, say since uh, Girl Band released their debut album, which is what, five, six years ago now. Um, I think they saw what was getting attention. They thought, hey, we can do that. Oh, look, this conversation is happening. That There's our lyrics. Um even down to like, I think how they present themselves in their press shots as well. It's all just very stylized. And I, I definitely do think um, it is very much a kind of style over substance um, matter with them. Well, okay. I guess for me, you know, I'm in the strange position of conflict where it's like, I do like this album. I enjoyed spending time with it. I compare it to the first two in particular. And to me, it does feel a little bit like by committee, a little bit of a facsimile of what idols already are. It kind of feels like a strange midpoint for them. I'm going to give it a six. I do like it. The best thing that happened with this album is it made me go, cool, I'm going to put those first two albums into my rotation. And also, despite the fact that it's un- it's undeniably naff, I keep fucking bumping Model Village on repeat. So maybe I'll go back to that one too. I I suspect they're not getting a six from you, are they? No, I'll give them, I'll give them a two. Whoa! Yeah, I thought this album was absolute rubbish. Um, everything I've basically have just kind of laid out my points earlier on. Um, I just thought it was really repetitive. I don't like Joe Talbot as a frontman. I'm not inspired by him. I don't think I think they're probably one of the worst lyricists of the last maybe twenty years. Um, I think a band on their third album, the listeners should be able to mark some kind of progress or growth none of that here um yeah and I actually texted someone today and I said I'm so excited to never have have to listen to this album again after today so I feel like I always land you with these ones Zara really but I do. do appreciate I appreciate the commitment uh, what else have you been listening to this week in particular um I have been listening actually to quite a lot of Irish releases upcoming um the Denise Chyla mixtape Go Bravely which I mentioned earlier Paddy Hanna's album The Hill which is coming out in October that's amazing Pillow Queen's album as well I've been listening to that a bit um I've also been listening to an amazing soundtrack um Cannibal Holocaust. It's Riz Ortolani. Um, I interviewed Paddy Hanna recently and he was telling me how that soundtrack was a huge influence for this album and I stuck it on and it is absolutely incredible. Easy listening, would you say? Uh, No, I wouldn't say easy listening. It's got some kind of spooky moments in there. The film is called Cannibal Holocaust. Oh, sorry, were you joking? Oh, I'm well aware. Were you joking when you said, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) We've been friends for what, four years? Like, what the fuck? Come on. <laughs> you just never know with you, David. Never know with you. True enough. Well, I mean, you mentioned a couple of things there. I, I've also been listening to the Pillow Queens album, In Waiting. It's out now as of this podcast dropping. Get on it. There's also a podcast episode to come all about that album with the band. Uh, Alvaretti personal history drops a week later and we'll have another episode about that as well um i guess i guess across the atlantic though i've been listening to um my boys health who i love to bits they got a new song called cyberpunk 2020 they're bringing together a new album of kind of collaborations that they've done over the last couple of years I'm looking forward to that dropping in full and uh pitchfork this week 
gave Fleet Foxes, who released a new album in the middle of the week called Sure. Pitchfork gave it Best New Music. That's five in a row now for Fleet Foxes and Best New Music. I must confess, Zara, I've only given this one listen, so I can't really great. review it. But it, it sounds like a Fleet Foxes album to me. You know, it's kind of what I would expect. Yeah, it's not ideal. I stuck it on the other day. Um, it, it doesn't even really sound too much like a Fleet Foxes album. It sounds bizarre um, one thing I did quite like though with the crossover is Chris Bear from Grizzly Bear played drums on a few of the songs so I like that that's a nice little oh, well, tidbit yeah. for you it's little things so it is so you mentioned Denise Chyla of course uh, star of the moment she did an incredible interview on the Late Late Show there a week ago and I think the whole nation fell in love and was like yes absolutely she fucking rules we have a new star it's great as noted uh, I did an interview with Denise and Murley recently which will be coming out I think about a week or two after the mixtape drops on October the 2nd so look out for that I'm really looking forward to to sharing that one um but one thing about Denise though is of course Chyla in particular has been arguably the sound of the summer and it got picked up recently for I think a Littlewoods Ireland ad which you know when, when Zara and I last weekend were deciding what kind of top five we would do this week I was like we were, I think we were talking about Denise and the whole thing and I was like hang on ads let's do ads so we're going to do ads again no Craig Fitzpatrick he works in the advertising industry he will be back. We can probably do it all over again. What was your approach here, Zara, as we move into our wonderful top five? Uh, my approach was um, initially before going to my laptop, just trying to think what ads came to mind without having to Google. So I just um, was went back to my childhood and I had a few ads in particular that really stood out to me. And then I just went onto YouTube and was like, googling particular ads um googling brands and yeah that was pretty much my my approach a lot of the ads though in my top five were the ones that were just from my memory what about you david very similar yeah i kind of went with my gut there were some ones that came to mind immediately and i was like well they gotta be in and then i did in fact go down rabbit holes i put out a tweet today from my own account at handready dave and basically was like when i say a song and an ad what do you immediately think of and there have been so many replies i'll get into some of them later and including a lot of the ones that i have in fact chosen but i guess before we kick it off here's an example of a crossover i suppose music and the advertising world that we don't want retirement can be scary no one makes it less scary getting checks on a regular basis. I can't go anywhere without getting one, two, three, four, five checks. But such is life when you write a masterpiece or have a guaranteed income with New York Life. With a New York Life income annuity, you pay some money up front and then get check after check each month for the rest of your life. Be good at life, New York Life. That's Lou Bega there, paying the bills with New York Life Insurance. I think it's only from a few years ago as well. Like, Jesus Christ, fair play to him. That's some serious staying power. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we had a bit of a rule here, Zara. It was a case of, like, let's only include one company per song. Or, like, like we don't want to, like, avalanche with the same thing in this yeah. capitalist dream that we're about to step, step foot into. <laughs> so, I guess with that in mind, you're our guest. Please kick us off this week. Cool. Um. So, my number five is a, a very... um delicious long forgotten long gone drink um it's harry nelson's coconut for coca-cola's coke and lime put the lime in the coconut to drink them both together put the lime in the coconut now let me get this free put the lime in the coconut to drink them both together put the lime in the coconut and you feel better put the lime in 
delicious Coke with wine. Um, yeah, so obviously that was Harry Nelson, uh, Coconut, but that is actually the Coca-Cola version. So they changed the lyrics to, you put the co- lime in the Coke, you nut. Um, obviously, yeah, no, it's not a... Not ideal. Uh, obviously, that's from uh, Harry Nelson's seventh album, uh, Nelson Schmelson from 1971. Um, a little known fact: I don't really have too much to say about this, other than I remember this song coming out or this ad coming out. Really loving the song and then searching for it. Um, that was always one thing I actually loved about ads with like tunes in it that you kind of discovered new people, which we'll get into a bit later on. Um, a little known fact here that I found out while researching this is that Danny Minogue recorded the song in 1994. Haven't heard the version, but I can only imagine it's absolutely amazing. <laughs> I'm not surprised too much here because um, this song, great song, by the way, uh, this song is featured in Quentin Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Uh, that's where I first heard the song. That's where I know the song from. And of course that, you know, I guess the most infamous musical moment in that movie was Stuck in the Middle with You, mm-hmm. which Louise ended up doing a dreadful, dreadful chart pop version of also in the kind of mid to late 90s. So yeah, like the the inspiration of these kind of, you know, much more old school classics, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's a well that runs deep. But you, you make a good point though because uh, I saw Jen Gannon saying this on Twitter today it's like it was a different time it was a time when like you you know you had to wait for an ad to come on TV there was no Shazam there was no YouTube there was no Spotify there was no nothing and you get that little fucking hit of like 25-30 seconds and that's your thing and then you try and track it down it was a, a simpler times Zara yeah. when all this were fields you know I don't know about you if you've got any um, Coca-Cola so- ad songs in your top five but um, there was a few that I was kind of tempted by uh, obviously the original one I'd like to teach the world to sing. I was kind of tempted, but I don't love that song. Um, obviously, it's uh, very famous, the ad, um, especially in Mad Men, but anyway. Um, but when I was watching lots of Coke ads, there was one that I completely forgot about that was amazing. And it's of a little kid who is at a vending machine and he buys two cans of Coke to stand on so that he's tall enough to press the Pepsi button and then he buys a Pepsi and he drinks it. I was like, Oh, that's sabotage! Amazing! What a campaign from Pepsi. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I feel like the Mad Men one, you know, the one you mentioned there probably would be Craig's number one if he was here, but he's not here. As for my list, Coca-Cola does not feature on my list, nor does Pepsi, the superior drink and the choice of a new generation, as we all know. However, at number five for me, it's an explosion of color. One night to be confused, one night to speed up truth. We had a promise made for us and then away. Both under influence, we had divine said to know what to say. Mind is a race away to call for hands of above. It is, of course, the dulcet tones of Jose Gonzalez, the Swedish-Argentinian singer-songwriter covering The Knife and Heartbeats. Hell of a song. Um, you could argue which is better. 
I prefer the knife one personally, mm. but this kind of was a launch pad for this guy. Uh, he recorded in 2003, but released as a lead single in 2006 following this campaign for the Sony Bravia television. I was working in Extravision at the time, and I remember this. We played it on our Sony Bravia TV range that we had in the shop. And the whole ad, as I'm sure people have already figured out, because I'm sure their their brain has already told them, this is, uh, it's set in San Francisco, and there's like fucking 100, 200, 300, 400,000, whatever, bouncy balls of different colors colors going down a hill and it was you know made to showcase like the the color variation of the television what it was capable of amazing mid-2000s technology so i was doing some research on this one i was looking up um the background to this one so an agency in the u.s called fallon were behind the ad and they say that uh, san francisco steep hills provided it to be the perfect or proved to be the perfect setting for the iconic ad uh the Alex company wants to celebrate color so sorry I, my numbers were way off zara it's actually two hundred and fifty thousand bouncy colored balls so a quarter of a oh, million wow. Down the rolling hills of the Golden City, resulting in a glorious cascade of colour, it says here. The striking visuals are accompanied by the gentle acoustic sounds of Jose Gonzalez, which, along with the graceful slow motion, gives the ad a dreamlike quality, a daydreamlike quality, that remains with you after the ad finishes. Now, the shoot took three days, and around 50 students uh, paraded around the place on roller skates, required to use brooms to clear all of the balls at the foot of the hill at the end of each take. Sounds like a bit of fun. Oh. Interesting contrast, though, isn't it? Because, you know, that's very vibrant, very upbeat. And this song is, you know, a bit of a downer. But is, mm. it, is this a good song? Is Jose Gonzalez any good? You know, I considered this song, actually, as well, for mine. But what stopped me was, I just don't like this song. <laughs> um, as you were saying there, I much prefer the knife version. Um, and while the, the Jose version was playing, I just actually was was playing the knife in my head. Um, I do, yeah, it is very, it's a very sweet arrangement. His voice is very nice and it's great that he had a bit of a career after it. Um, the ad is also just incredibly memorable. Like, I can't not hear that song and also visualise all those like skittle-like balls just hopping about the place. Um, 250,000 balls. That is a lot of balls. It's pretty, yeah, it's, it's quite a lot. It's I pretty would ballsy. <laughs> <laughs> Very ballsy. Uh, to give Jose Gonzalez his credit, he had another good pop culture moment. There's a moment in Red Dead Redemption, which I'm sure fans will remember, where you finally like take the trip from one part of the map to the other, and it's this big, long thing, and this beautiful, beautiful Jose Gonzalez song sweeps up into the soundtrack, and it's one of those great little moments. The sequel to Red Dead Redemption tried similar with a really, really good D'Angelo song. There's two mentions for him on this episode, but yeah. That's my number five. Zara, what's your number four? Well, I don't know about you, uh, David, but, you know, this lockdown thing, it's just nice to escape sometimes. I mean, obviously we're not going abroad or anything like that, but I do think it can be nice to get in your car and drive. Let's fade into the sun. Let the spirit fly. We'll be at one. of course Lenny Kravitz Getaway I also fluffed that introduction of that song I should have said 
get in your car and get away instead of drive. Um, I just is it not fly away or is it get away? I thought it was fly away. It's fly away, but in the song he says get away. That's fair. Yeah, it's, it, um, it's, it's a mishmash. It's a complicated song, you know. It is a complicated song. Um, obviously, so that was used in um the Peugeot two hundred six car ad. I don't know if you can visualize that one. It's just a car two hundred six just driving through loads of vast landscape. It's the only car in the road. It makes driving look exceptional. Um, a nice little tidbit about um about this song. Um, so it won. Lenny, um, a Grammy Award for Best Male Rock Performance in 1999. Um, the song also emerged from Kravitz testing an amp that was brought to the studio. Um, after plugging the guitar in, Kravitz state- started playing the song, stating, I was listening to the way different chords were ringing, just moving between A, C, G and D. And the next thing I knew, I was telling the engineer to hook the mics up, mics up and record. By that time, he wrote the song. And then uh, he'd already finished the album Five, which it uh, does feature on. Uh, and he had submitted it to his label and he considered then putting it out as maybe a B-side and Kravitz played it for a friend and his friend was like, mate, if that song isn't on your album, I'm going to be so annoyed at you. And then <laughs> the uh, label heard it and they uh, put it on the album. And there goes one of, is that Lenny Kravitz's best song? No, it is not. His best song is It Ain't Over Till It's Over, which is fucking beautiful. And I keep forgetting that it's a Lenny Kravitz song. You know the one, don't you? Like... Oh, yes! The peak 1990s rom-com song. Oh, it's so good. He also, yeah. of course, said Are You Gonna Go My Way, which was great. Like, I'm not about to make the case for Lenny Kravitz being oh, an unheralded gem, but he's got some He's got some in his locker. You I know, think, he does. I think Fly Away is definitely up there as... I love this. Yeah, it's, it's class. It's so good. That drop is just euphoric. Like, I whipped my arm in the air and my headphones fell off. Like, that's just <laughs> the impact it had on me. It is also uh, as like as we speak. It is lashing down outside, so I might need to turn into that amazing Lenny Kravitz meme from a few years ago, where he's walking around New York City in the biggest scarf of all time, which I fucking love. I have so much respect for him for this and nothing else. Sorry, breaking news: the Mercury Music Prize has been decided. Oh. Dave's lock of the week has triumphed. Give it up for Michael Kuanuka. <laughs> yes. yes. Amazing. Delighted. Oh, that's good. Absolutely but- delighted. He's. I love that album. That album fucking rules. It's called Kuanuka. came out last year. Uh, I interviewed him at Electric Picnic last year, actually, when th- that was a thing. Lovely man. Yeah, he's really seems, nice. He seems really like sound. Sweetheart. I'm delighted for him. I'm fucking happy. This is good. This This is good. You know, like, I, I feel like, if anything, the propulsion of Lenny Kravitz and Fly Away, I think, skyrocketed Michael Kuanuka to that win. So I'll, I'll bring things back, though. We'll go from America to the UK and now to good old Ireland. At Aircom, we believe that connection changes everything. It turns games into incredible adventures. Travels into voyages of discovery. Taken from the sidelines to the heart of the action. And learning becomes 
inspirational. Connection changes your world, which is why Aircom connects you better, faster, and in more ways than ever before. Aircom. Life changing. Oh, that's Grimes there in oblivion. Grimes flirting with super technology eight years before she would get together with Elon Musk. Actually, how long are they together? I can't even remember. Who cares? But the point is, Oblivion's a great song, and this is its usage on an ad for Aircom, Ireland's um, telephone and internet service. I don't know. Like, like how do you describe Aircom? In, in, yeah, air. it's called air. air yeah. yeah, these days. Yeah, and these days, these days, Zara, they got the likes <laughs> of Wild Youth on their ads. So, you know, they had, they had Grimes. And now they have Wild Youth. And in between, they've had all kinds of different people. So, you know, they're always out for the trendy thing. Um, and, I, and I dug up, you know, um, an, an Irish Times article from 2012 in which they said that Aircom is using a mix of live action and 3D projection mapping techniques in an advertising campaign designed to promote its new home phone, broadband and mobile bundle. Uh, to try and make the brand, quote, something more dynamic. Um, and the ad in particular features high-resolution projections masquerading as decorations on the four walls of a living room. It's very virtual, you know, very cool. Uh, the advertisement's protagonist, an Aircom home phone and broadband customer, not to be confused with the protagonist from Christopher Nolan's Tenet, uh, finds it increasingly difficult to distinguish between what is real and what is projected. Later seen falling through space, clutching a mobile. The advertisement was directed by James Brown, not that one, who has won multiple <laughs> awards for his work on Adidas and the ad is soundtracked by quote the hypnotic electronic beats of the song Oblivion by Canadian artist Grimes aka Claire Boucher or Boucher still don't know how to pronounce that one it's a banger it's a great mm. song and it, it made Aircom look cool for all of 60 seconds it was my introduction to Grimes actually which is really no which is really embarrassing to think that Aircom like sat me down and was like here's our here's an artist that you can listen to and uh, explore it is so bizarre that Aircom have had a Grimes song um, for it uh, it worked so well though I can't enti- completely visualise the ad but I do remember hearing that song relentlessly uh, throughout its whole um, tenure on the television and was it also radio as well I think yeah I also love the dulcet tones of the um, the uh, voiceover actor in that, taking you from the sidelines to centre pitch or something like that. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's the job we all want, let's yeah. be honest, right? But I, I also, mean, like, like, I also found that, like, I don't know if you found this too, but I just finished, I finished watching Mad Men for the first time uh, just at the start of lockdown, I think. And now anytime I look at any ad, I can't not just imagine Donald Draper in a room pitching it. So even when that voice over actor said there again, Aircom, life changing. I was, I, ju- I literally just pictured uh, Draper there to Sterling Cooper Price and all the other lads and just being like... So what you're saying is they've done a great job. They've it done a very good job. They did a very good job. I... Think yeah, I think my family home. I think it was Aircom supplied. I think I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, using your current internet setup, what have you dug up for us next? Okay, so um, usually it's uh, recording the podcast. It always makes me think, oh, this is great. I get to see my friends. Maybe I'll have a pint afterwards. Um, but alas, not tonight. But if I'm so sorry. I'm so bad at these introductions, but I'm just going to keep going at it. (laughs) I love Um, it. I love it. But if ever there was an ad to inspire you to never hold a grudge, 
and to maybe just say sorry. That was uh, Mick Christopher's heyday from the Guinness ad. Um, I think it was 2003 called Quarrel, um, which obviously stars um, an then unknown Michael Fassbender. Who Compelling. Wa- yeah, who wakes up, feels like something's just not right. He hears the song on the radio and he just walks and walks like the pretenders he walked 10,000 miles he swam the Atlantic Ocean to go to New York to say sorry to a friend but David bit of trivia here do you know actually what bar features in that ad uh it's hang on so it's it's not an Irish bar right it's or is it it is an Irish bar it was filmed in Dice Bar no fucking way. Yeah. This, My beloved Dice Bar. Your beloved Dice Bar. Fastbender, <laughs> Guinness, Mick Christopher. Yeah. The, the backstory to this um, ad is really interesting. Um, I don't think you'll find it online. So this is actually a bit of an exclusive. Um, so I interviewed um, Neil Carver. He's a filmmaker last year because there was a Mick Christopher documentary that came out. And obviously I could not ask him about Heyday being used in the Guinness ad and if he knew anything about it. And he told me that there was, so the copywriter for that ad is a guy called Nick Kelly. And he was in, um, as well as being a copywriter, he was in a band, um, it's like a Dublin alternative band from say like the 80s into the 90s called The Fat Lady Sings. And he was basically instrumental in getting both Fassbender and the ad, because I think they might have been friends. And he also had a copy of Skylark Larkin in his car. So he had put the ad together and he basically used Heyday as a placeholder track for the ad to send off then to the client or to his boss. And he was like in the email, he's like, look, uh, don't even don't mind the song that's just a placeholder but here's like the story or whatever and the agency were like just like no we absolutely love this we're keeping the song in um I just couldn't not it was I think this was the second song that came to mind for this top five um every time I hear this song or even hear Mick Christopher's name I immediately think of Guinness and I actually kind of half considered buying myself a can of Guinness to have while recording this like, like that's just how much I wanted a Guinness um I wonder Dave do you have perchance the 1985 to 1995 series with uh, Blade Runner's Rutger Hauer uh he appeared in Guinness campaigns um he was known as the man with a Guinness <laughs> <laughs> Cryptic. I don't have that. No, oh. I do want a Guinness now, though. This is actually, yeah. like, like we're not here. We're not here to shill for companies that don't sponsor the show. But yeah, wouldn't mind one. Mm. Um, 
that's interesting. I, I've actually worked in the same advertising uh, agency as Nick Kelly, and mm. uh, we never we didn't interact though. But uh, I believe he's in a band called Alien Envoy these days. Um, hell of a choice. No, you're right. I mean, this is like it's it's iconic. You know, like like it's one that you think of all the time. I rem- I remember it being on cinema ads all the time, and you know the whole fucking thing, and like you know the the dramatic. Sorry, and then oh, it's all right, <laughs> so mate. Don't worry, let's get to fucking get us. I can't believe it's Dice Bar. I'm yeah. shocked. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, you learn something every day is a school day. There you and go. now, time for us to learn a bit more. Uh, but I guess, like with this one, you know, it's oh, spoiler for choice. Like, like, like with with my number three here, I could have gone with this. <laughs> I could have gone with this. I said choice after choice, but the only one I've gone for here, it is, of course, for Levi's, this. Nineteen ninety-five. The year is drawing to a close, and Babylon Zoo and Spaceman are chosen to front a new Levi's campaign. Now, in that audio clip that you heard, which is taken directly from the from an ad, in which, according to this write-up, a saucy Russian model descends from a flying saucer in tight-cut Levi's to a spangly vocal and funky backbeat, uh, <laughs> like, in which they have this weird kind of you know alien utopia thing going on, and it was everywhere. I remember this fucking. This was constant. I would have been, you know, I presume you were like, you know, you were probably like what, five at the time uh, or something ridiculous. Excuse me, I was not. I was three years old. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, I was a bit older than that. <laughs> and it was just like, it was everywhere. It was a big fucking thing. It was a big pop culture moment. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this top five was to talk about these pop culture moments that had a genuine impact. And we'll talk about the impact in a moment about Spaceman. But I guess, like I say, that is sped up audio, which kind of distorts the song. Everyone out and bought this in their droves. And when they bought it, this is what they got instead. There's a fire between us. So where is your God? There's a fire between us. I can't get off the carousel. I can't get off the carousel. I can't get off the carousel. I can't get off this What a fucking song. It's incredible. That chorus holds up like crazy. I adore it. Um, I will hear no argument against it. But yes, 
The Tale of Babylon Zoo and Spaceman. It's a very interesting one, Zara. I'm glad you asked. The single chart at number one in the UK singles chart when it came out, registering first week sales of 383,000 copies, pretty much exclusively off the back of this ad. It became the fastest selling debut single in British pop music history and the best selling single in the United Kingdom in over 30 years since the Beatles Can't Buy Me Love. Can you believe it? No, I can't. When you played the slowed down version of that, I was just so shocked. I don't even recognise that. And I was like, this is absolute dog shit like this version. Oh, come on. And then I had to stop myself and I literally went, I guarantee I will put any amount of money on it that Han Ratty loves this song because it is so your vibe. It's unbelievable. It's a cla- Listen, it's got lyrics about anti-fascism. It was ahead of its time. Um, it's, uh, also- <laughs> it's also, the sped up version is very Grimes-esque. There's a bit of a, That's correct. a yeah. through line in your um, top five. So I respect uh, She often continuity. cites Babylon Zoo as her okay. biggest influence, as we know. This was a number one hit in 23 different countries. Jeez. And as of June 2013, I'm not quite sure why this article stops there, but we'll go with it. Uh, it was the 79th best-selling single in the history of the UK, selling a grand total Zara of one point. 1.5 million copies. It was fucking huge. I remember this like it was yesterday. I remember like my brother bought it. It was everywhere. It led to a debut album called The Boy with the X-Ray Eyes, which did not go down terribly well. Actually, okay. Didn't get too much of a critical kicking, but it's now regarded as like one of the worst albums ever made, which is, you know, one of those kind of classic imagine. Um, backtrack things. Uh, in the Irish Times, Kevin Courtney described The Boy with the X-Ray's Eyes, uh, the X-Ray Eyes as, quote, fatally flawed, <laughs> which can't bode too well for it. Um, uh, there's 99 article for The Guardian in which a critic named Andrew Mueller called it one of the most hilariously terrible albums ever made. They did make a second album. Uh, it was called King Kong Groover. Oh it sold God. less than 10,000 copies, did not chart, was regarded as, quote, an abject failure, and the band broke up in 2000. But like I say, Levi's, the, the other stuff you heard there, by the way, at first when we kind of sped into this section. Yeah, I was, remember uh, the first one, the Mr. Ozo, Ozeal? Mr. Wazo, yeah, Wazo, Flat Beat, with, yeah. Um, yeah, which was uh, like that kind that. of... Uh, then you also had uh, the one that before that though was also from I think around like 94 93 maybe a Scottish band called Stiltskin Stiltskin you know or whatever the fuck you want to like, call them that was them. Northern Irish <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I'm really bad. I can never differentiate. I do apologise to any Northern Irish, Scottish and general listeners for that one. The song was called Inside. And again, it's your classic, like, I remember being out uh, years ago. I remember being out in a a Drada bar called uh, the Soda Club, I think it was called, or the Star Bar, one of those. And like, I remember fucking... The Soda Club or the what? Star Bar? No, do you want to draw that? Yeah. Stava. Uh, so I'm just alienating everyone right now. This is great. Um, so anyway, I'm in DeSoto Club and that wasn't even Drada. I'm just all over the map here. But I remember like being there one night and like hearing Inside by Stillskin come on and I just had this Pavlovian reaction as I would have had if Spaceman came on because it's just built into you. It's ingrained. It was huge. It was a huge success. Like Levi's for a long time cornered the market in genuinely interesting and instantly memorable. They just had something. I don't know if it would work now because, you know, like I say, YouTube generation, but it was mm. a different time and it was a times hour in which we could all go to space, man. And I suppose actually as well, that would kind of line up slightly to Space Jam. Sure, why not? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it does. (laughs) Is is Spaceman used in Space Jam? 
I don't think it is. No, I'm not sure they got the licensing. That came out in 96, though. I'll look it up, but I'm yeah, fairly certain. I'm fairly certain the only one person who profited off that from a musical point of view was Aura Kelly. And we'll swiftly move on, won't we? Oh, absolutely. Well, I suppose, Dave, that just goes to show what an excellent podcast host you would be. Um, I would say that you're not just any regular podcast host. You're a podcast host with great links. Um a great wit, great pizzazz. And that just makes me think of this. Obviously, that was uh, Albatross by Fleetwood Mac, um, kind of brought back into the living rooms through Marks and Spencer's 2005 campaign. Um, when I was going over watching these ads again, I just remembered how obnoxious this ad in particular was, where it's like, these aren't just any potatoes. These are <laughs> red new rooster potatoes. And it's like, no, it's just a sport like. Um, so yeah, th- that ad where, you know, they had a series of just their food looking absolutely incredible and really just going to town on um and their adjectives. Uh, so yeah, uh, Albatross, um, funnily enough, kind of a bit of a, a kiss, kismet, is that the right word to use for um, my last top five? I had Santo and Johnny Sleepwalk and Albatross was actually um, kind of directly inspired by Sleepwalk. Um, Peter Green um, heard the song, loved it and decided to channel that for this 1968 um, instrumental. Um, it's actually one of the few tracks that featured the original Fleetwood Mac lineup that kind of goes on to a lot of their greatest hits and best of compilations. It's their only number one hit in the UK singles chart. Uh, spent a week um, at the top there in January of 1969. Um were you a fan of this? I actually also think it's probably the only Fleetwood Mac song that I genuinely like. Um, I think that they're a wildly overrated band, but I do think that Albatross, there's just something about the guitar that really gets me sometimes. Like I was listening to it yesterday and I'm not going to lie, my nose was kind of tingling a bit because just the emotion in that guitar really gets me. And I, I also just love how... It is a song. I also love instrumentals. Um, so uh, I just loved how the imagery is just so vivid, like the crashing of the cymbals just really sounds like a wave crashing. Um, so, yeah, that's my hot take. Well, despite its overuse for many a year, I would, I'm a big fan of The Chain. I think The Chain fucking rules. Uh, I'm not a big Fleetwood Mac guy. I've never quite got it, quote unquote, whatever. Um, I recognise their importance and they're obviously a very interesting story because they all fucking hate each other. But I mean, like, people love them. Um, but here's the thing, right? Great choice because this was one of the most responded to today. Oh. When I put out that tweet, like uh, people shouting albatross all over the place, oh. including uh, Michael Michael Fry, internet sensation Michael Fry, who I thought of earlier on when we did Grimes Oblivion, of course, because he does a mean version of that. But yeah, a lot of love out there for albatross. Uh, friend of the show, Owen Murray, I should say, uh, did 
steer me in the direction of another Marks and Spencer's campaign, one featuring a Groove Armada song. And there's actually an interview that Owen sent to me in which the singer from Groove Armada, or whatever he is, is like... Um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever you call yourself like, who cares <laughs> but he basically was like uh he was asked that like did he have any regrets about whatever and he said that he regretted giving the music to the MS thing because he thought it was just really annoying and kind of shit and like devalue the band and whatever but also at one, he had a phrase where he goes i really liked their christmas campaign and it's like jesus christ <laughs> what are you talking about man oh my word yeah so in summary groove armada bad Fleetwood yeah. Mac, questionable, maybe a bit overrated. Mark Spencer's pretty good, you know, got, got, got some good stuff. That's where you, you know? do your like, shop, isn't it? I mean, don't I paint you, the image of me as someone who be, goes around there. I've never broke out a trolley in there, okay? Basket yeah, only, thank you. but anytime you say I'm going to, like, do the shop, it's always Marks and Spencer's. Like, this is complete... It's not, not true. It's not, no, 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 it no, 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 is no, true. No, 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 it's little. I'm a little person as one, regards... If there's one thing that I would have learned from you, I think it's to love yourself like Dave Hanratty loves himself by treating himself to a Marks and Spencer shop. Sonic Architect Adam is correct in the chat here. It is character assassination <laughs> on me. This is what I get for it's inviting true. you on the show. No, it's hang on, true. hang on, hang on, hang on. Hold, it's not true because like you, you use the word treat correctly there because it is in fact rare occasions. I don't go there all the time. Sarah, ask me, when was the last time I went to Marks and Spencer and filled up my bag full of Marks and Spencer's goodies? That's ask because, me the question. That's because you no, don't... No, no, that's because you Ask don't me. live beside Houston Station anymore. Ask me, when was the last time? Oh, it's because there isn't one nearby your house. Ask me the question. I'll ask you the question. What's your number two, Dave? When was the last time I went to Marks and Spencer's? The answer is Tuesday. Now let's move on with my number two. I wish that I could fly into the sky so very high Just like a dragonfly Peugeot 206. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the Peugeot 206. It's Lenny Kravitz again so with Fly good. Away. They had to play it twice. <laughs> it is, in fact, Fly Away. That's how I knew, Zara, because you gazumped me by oh, getting it amazing. in ahead of me. But what can you do? It's such a great song. I'm happy to play it twice. Now, according to an article I read during the week about this, the dreadlock, dreadlocked rocker try say that seven times in a row uh, his career was in trouble apparently this this song actually would you believe it when it was originally released before the ad came out it charted at number 113 in the uk so not exactly what you would call a hit next thing you know here's a peugeot ad featuring crazy dreamers achieving their goals of buying a peugeot and kravitz goes on to achieve a number one hit when the song either was re-released or just bounced back up the charts in february of 1999 um he did an interview with the guardian going through some of his songs like some of his biggest songs and for some reason they didn't quite cover this one they just kind of mentioned it as an, as an aside but he said that um his mother had great expectations for him. He said success was about being a quality person and having integrity. At the age of 33, following the likes of Fly Away, propelling him into superstardom, he of course did a cover of American Woman for the Austin Powers sequel and so on and so forth. He said, um, I was always on the run. I didn't have time. I was crazy. Now I was asking, who am I? Am I my mother's son? On a superficial level, he changed up his look, shedding his dreads. His partner at the time, Lisa Bonet, did that. He said, I went up to her house. You need to cut your hair, she said. It's time for a change of energy. And then she pulled out the razor blade. Do you think that Lenny Kravitz's mother would be proud of her son? 
Oh, absolutely. 100%. Lenny Kravitz is an absolute legend. He brought blarfs to the mainstream. Which what is now, sorry? A blarf, which is the technical fashion term for the blanket scarf. Oh, okay, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, I did not know this, but... Uh, <laughs> And also, Do you sell many of those? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess you could use a lot of the blankets that we sell in the shop. I have actually had a lot of customers uh, pick up a blanket and go, what's this? Is this a scarf? And I'm like, yeah, if you're Lenny Kravitz, maybe. Like, no, that is not a scarf. That's clearly a blanket. Um, okay, so I guess now is the time for my top, my number one. It is indeed, Zara. We'll, we'll brush right past Lenny. Yeah. You know, he's, give, he's given us all he's going to give us today. So I guess um, it's actually very apt. Um, so thank you very much for bringing cars back into our minds. Um, I don't know about you, Dave. Uh, I don't, I can drive. Um, I don't have my driving license. Um, I failed my driving test a couple of times. I'm incredibly nervous in my car. And I would put that down to seeing this ad as a child. This is Michael. Today he's going to hit his girlfriend so hard she ends up with permanent brain damage. That is a road safety authority ad. Uh, Samantha Mumba, Body to Body from uh, her 2000 um, album, Gotta Tell You. So there isn't actually a whole lot that you can find online in terms of like Samantha Mumba's reaction to this song. Um, But what I did find is a really interesting blog excerpt that was written a couple of years ago. Um, Let me just uh, read out an interpretation of this ad, which, I mean, I think if you grew up in Ireland, you've definitely seen this ad. Um, It was everywhere constantly. Um, I was even too afraid. I obviously did rewatch it. But I was really reluctant to rewatch it because I always found this ad so scary. So anyway, this blog post, very interesting take on this ad and the use of this song. There is a clear mining via psychological evaluation of the psychosexual interpretation of motorised mobility allowed by cars for use for these ads. Many of the main characters are portrayed as young and sexually active. More to the point, a lot of songs chosen as soundtracks to these ads feature overt sexual content from T-Rex's Get It On to Samantha Mumba's Body to Body. There is a clear attempt to link sexual interaction with tragedy and consequence. Is that a potential byproduct or reincarnation of Catholic guilt? Uh, what would you make of that? Do you think that the RSA body to body ad, where it was the one who what wasn't wearing a seatbelt that did it? Do you think? I've it's always. A, do you think it's Catholic uh, guilt? Yeah, I do. I think everything in Ireland is Catholic guilt. Um, these ads are always harrowing as fuck. Thank you for this so much, Zara. This was also one of the most one of the most shouted out on Twitter today, where I was just like, Jesus Christ, everyone's got a morbid fascination with this oh. with this ad. And listen, these ads are designed to be like this. That's the whole point of them. Another shout was um, Man of the World. Remember that one? Shall, Shall I, I tell you about yeah. my life? <laughs> yeah, bad. But here's the thing, right? Um, I'm all for the I'm, I'm I'm all for the psychosexual drill down. That's fine. You can do that. But I mean, one thing in that ad that always struck me, the very end of the ad, as you say, shows a fairly emotionally shattered paramedic man or a guard, yeah. um, and he you know radios into his colleagues and says, 
uh, what four in this vehicle or three dead or whatever. And he yeah. goes like, um, they say it was the one with the seatbelt that did the damage. He's almost. It almost sounds like he's like. You know, as if there's a bet on or something. There's, a, I just found that to be a very abrupt kind of like, hang on a minute, a bit jarring. But yeah. no, listen, um, it's a very effective ad, as you say. You know, I, I don't drive either, and yeah. this could be one of the reasons. I think it also, is the core reason. Um, yeah, I guess it's, it's quite clearly it's a Bowie thing, right? Isn't yeah, it? It's like obviously, a fucking... it, it lifts from um, ash, ashes to ashes, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it is ashes to ashes. Sorry, I'm just talking yeah, that's about a tune. Oh. Tune, absolute tune. Um, I also just really loved the remix of the Do It, Do It, Do it. I loved that so much. Um, But yeah, I don't know if I can say it's a good tune. I think it's still because I'm so scarred from that ad growing up that I would run out of a room. That's fair. Uh, on the subject of Ashes to Ashes, by the way, I, I've said this before, but like when I went to see Slipknot, my beloved Slipknot in Belfast, um, this was like a couple of weeks, I think, a few weeks after Bowie had died. And before Slipknot came on stage, like when the lights went down, they played Ashes to Ashes over the PA in full. They were doing that on their tour, which I thought was just a really lovely moment. And it was just a nice kind of, nice moment of connection and respect. And yes, hell of a top five, Zara. But I feel like you've, you. you've brought some, you, you know, you brought some darkness to the, to the, to the number one. Yeah. I will have to bring us back into the light. It could only be one. It could only be this. Get ready. It is, of course, the iconic Cadbury advert in which a gorilla plays the drums and you don't see a chocolate bar or nothing. And when everyone saw it at first, they were like, what the fuck did I just see? But that was the whole point. It became this amazing talking point. And of course, what you're hearing there is the best song of all time in the air tonight by Phil Collins, which is just amazing. I've spent an incredible week. Adam Shanahan is raising his eyebrows. You don't believe that. You do not believe that in the air tonight is the greatest song of all time. I think it might be. I think it's in the conversation. Do you not think it's in the conversation? Uh, like it's astonishing, Zara. Uh, I don't know if I would it's say I a I, perfect I, song. No, no, it's not a perfect song. Um, I think it's a great song. It's definitely. I adore. It, I adore it, it. Gets your fist pumping in the air, but like so good. I'm, okay, so here's the thing, right? Like, so, so this yeah. ad is instantly iconic. It's won all kinds of awards. It's cited all the time. Um, I was reading up on it, and the director, Argentinian man by the name of Juan Cabral, uh, he was working on a different ad at the time, and apparently, like, just hanging out, you know, on break. Um, the crew were talking about the best drum solos of all time, and then Juan Cabral was like, "I've got it. I've got a new idea." He said that he, uh, we finished the shoot. I got back to a hotel. I wrote down the paragraph. Next day, I wrote a fully all the camera moves and everything. So he wanted to like bring this to whoever would do it. You know, he just thought it was amazing. So he ended up, um, you know, meeting up with Cadbury or whatever and gave them the brief. Uh, he spoke to a man by the name of Phil Rumble, who was director of marketing for Cadbury at the time. Um, the briefing I gave the agency was eating Cadbury's chocolate makes you feel good. So that's like a very basic fucking thing to get. Very vague and whatever. Mm. Uh, in response, the gorilla thing was pitched and your man Rumble thought it was great, but no one else did. 
Uh, he said that when I saw it with my team, there was an instinctive and immediate reaction that it hit the brief in terms of making people feel something. But when I shared it with my superiors, it's fair to say they thought, they thought I was mad. They said, let's get this right. You want to make an ad that's three times longer than a normal ad, has no Cadbury's chocolate in it, and there's no message. The director uh, describes the ad as, as having a, a, a randomness quality that consumers are very used to today. But in 2007, it was a different time. Cadbury were reeling, Zara, from a costly salmonella scare simpler times you might say that led them to have to recall more than a million chocolate bars Sorry, and they were just very nervous salmonella from a chocolate bar I don't know and I don't want to know <laughs> the company was understandably quite nervous about doing anything that might further endanger the brand the whole idea was about rekindling the love amongst consumers and next thing you know they went with it they gave it a go um, the public fucking loved it it went, went viral it was watched by millions of people parodies everywhere it won tons of awards it was huge and you know everyone loved it including Phil Collins roll the clip Adam I got an email from my manager saying that he'd been approached by Cadbury's asking me, would I mind if they used the In The Air song um, with a gorilla that was going to drum? And I said, no, I don't mind. That drum fit is all about sound and attitude and the way you play the drums and the way you hit it. You know, and he just, he manages to do it very well. did arise as to whether it was me in the gorilla suit because it played it quite accurately and it looked like a drummer but i can say categorically that it was not me i, I was nowhere near the scene officer i promise bill collins there treating us to his random seal impression at one stage i'm glad to hear that um oh. yeah i mean listen it's, it's one of those and you know and then it was history type moments um I guess I'll give the last word here to the director, Juan Cabral. He says, you have to go out and flirt and seduce. You need to feel like there's humanity there. If you feel there's a corporation, the outcome is terrible. The stuff that makes you send it to your friends usually is because some, uh, usually because there's someone that looks like they were having fun. I love this ad. It's often cited. Mm. It's often cited for a reason. It's completely surreal and crazy. And yeah. it's the best song of all time, as we've already discussed. And also, Zara, mm. well, listen to the song on repeat this week. It prompted me to go back and watch Miami Vice 2006 for the third time with Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx. That film is a wonderfully incompreh- incomprehensible mess. And I fucking adore it. I've never seen that film, actually. I did see that you would watch it. Um, I think you put it up maybe on... Instagram or something like that. Big letterbox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, look, it is, it's a great song. It worked so well to like grab people's attention on the TV to be like, I, I actually remember, I think the first time I saw that ad and it takes so long to build up. And I was like, what is this ad for? Like, someone please put me out of my misery. And then like, as if the purple backdrop just didn't give it away. Like it didn't like, um, the drums are purple as well. It's fucking yeah. a lot of touch. And then just, <laughs> I remember the reveal being like, what? Like, this is ridiculous. But then also really wanting a chocolate bar. Um, actually huge question for you, David. I actually, I don't know if I know this about you yet in all our years of friendship, but what is your favorite uh, Cadbury? Do you know, like specifically the purple wrapper one? Are you a, a plain chocolate? Would you be a fruit and nut, caramello, mint crisp, golden crisp? Uh, what one am I missing? I'm a man of simple pleasures, Zara. It's dairy milk all the way for me. You're disgusted, aren't you? Just the plain chocolate. Just the plain chocolate, just plain dairy milk, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, it's good, but like, it's no mint crisp. Or Carmelo. Mint, mint chocolate is fucking horrific. Mint, and anyone who eats mint chocolate is horrific and should be cancelled immediately and imprisoned mint, for the rest of their days. Mint chocolate, to me, is far more effective of refreshing your mouth than a chewing gum. And you also get to eat chocolate at the same time. It's amazing. This episode of No Encore was engineered by Sonic Architect Adam Shanahan. Next week on the show, I'm taking the week off. Craig is back and he's got Royal Yellow in tow, making his podcast debut. I believe the boys are going to review the new Sufjan Stevens record so we can all have a bit of a cry together. One more time, thank you so much, Zara Hedeman. It's been it's been something, let me tell you. It's It's been fun. Uh, I'm sorry if I was a bit too sassy towards you sometimes, but you know. Oh, I'm well what, used to it. That's what friends you know? are for, isn't it? That's what we do. <laughs> that's how it goes. You can get Zara on Twitter, of course. She's Zara Hedeman on there. She's doing all sorts of things. Don't, uh, do you want to plug Big Gorilla, Gorilla Live? The, like, you know, from one gorilla to another, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Great plug. Um, yeah. Uh, follow us on like Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we're also on YouTube. So subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, check us out every fortnight. Um, and yeah. Yeah, it's live from Gorilla Studios for anyone who hasn't seen it yet. A great live performance space. In recent weeks, you've had the likes of God Knows, Nisha Roo, many, many others, many more to come as well. Um, Evanessa Francis was pretty great. Maya mm. Sophia. Like it's, it's been building great momentum and yeah, Zara is the one you. who puts it all together. So go check it out. Patreon.com slash No Encore if you want to help support this show. But for now, my name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And I'm off to listen to Phil Collins. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.